0: But we've also been doing something I found it fun. I hope you found it fun. We've been doing this series called Sowing Seeds. And the whole idea behind this series is that, listen, regardless of what your 2023 is going to look like, whether it's going to be a great year or a rocky year or something in between, are there certain seeds that you can sow now Such that as they take root and as they start showing and demonstrating life, you have more chance of knowing and enjoying and experiencing life throughout the course of this year than if you hadn't done that. Because the whole idea of a seed is that it is life potential Now, when I talk about life, I'm not always talking about the American dream version of life, but life the way our Creator intended, life abundance the way he intended. So that by sowing these seeds, and as you walk out this year, you're able to know God's goodness and God's life in a very tangible and powerful way. Now for the most parts this series so far and and maybe even for the weeks to come have been focusing on you sowing seeds for the sake of your life your experience but today we're going to talk about sowing kingdom seeds into the life of somebody else see here's the big idea And if you're here for the first time, and especially maybe you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, and you're checking things out, and you're still trying to work things out for yourself, we're so glad that you're here. But something we fundamentally believe as Christians, and we spoke about this a number of weeks ago, is that while we can know and experience life in a number of different ways on this planet Earth, If we are to ultimately know and experience ultimate life, that life comes to us through the author of life, the one who holds life together, the one who is able to breathe new life into us, and the one whose life has beaten and defeated the grave, and the one therefore whose life will outlast all other lives, and of course I'm speaking about Jesus Christ. And so yes, when we're talking about sowing seeds of life, we're thinking about how are we connecting into the life that Jesus offers us. But in the same light, we also need to be so passionate about the idea that that's not only for me. And that if that premise is true, don't we want more and more people to know and experience that life? Now in churches like this, there is a word that we have for this, and that is the word evangelism. And evangelism comes from the word for the gospel, which is the evangel. So it's literally just talking about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and demonstrating that in a tangible way. And some of you, when you hear the word evangelism, you're chomping at the bits, Others of you, it feels like going to the dentist when we talk about this stuff, and I get that. But before we talk about our preferences with regards to evangelism, I just wanted to hold up in front of you the idea of the quality of life, the abundant life, the eternal life that comes to us in Jesus, and surely... We want that for others and therefore surely every single one of us, remember we're not thinking about the whole farm, we're not thinking about the whole crop, we're thinking about a seed and surely everyone in this room can think about sowing a seed of life into the life of somebody else. And so to help us this morning, we're going to speak about a fairly familiar story that Jesus tells and and maybe come at it from a less familiar angle. But just to get us all on the same page, literally and metaphorically, let's read Matthew 13 verses 3 to 8. And this is the story that Jesus tells. And he says, a farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, Some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it all up. Some seed fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no roots. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Looks like some of our gardens, but still other seed fell on good soil. We're jealous about those gardens, right? where it produced a crop, a crop of 160 or 30 times what was sown. Why? Because seed is life potential. So if you've heard the story before, so often the angle that we preachers tend to take is to say, let's look at your heart as one of these four different types of soils. And as we, and we'll do this in a second, as we try and understand how Jesus describes these different soils, well, let's have a bit of introspection, and let's get honest with the states and the readiness of our own hearts, and then let's respond to these seeds accordingly so we can be more ready for the seeds of the kingdom. That is the more typical angle that we take. But what if we didn't make that story about us today? What if these different soils represent different people that we hope to sow kingdom seed into? The seed doesn't fall out of nowhere. It talks about someone hearing the seed. And so in this case, instead of hearing it from Steve or Craig, they're going to be hearing it from you. So this story helps us understand that when we are scattering seed, everyone's coming from a different background. Everyone's going to be in a different state of readiness. Everyone's going to have different things going on in their life. And so here's the big question for us as we imagine ourselves wanting to sow a seed of the kingdom in somebody else's life to what degree do we need to be sensitive to and thoughtful about the situation of the other person? In other words, do we just randomly just go out and throw seed, being completely unthoughtful about it, or are we being called by the Scriptures to far more intentionality? Now, some of us would answer, no, we shouldn't really think about that. All we need to do is just give the gospel every opportunity that we have. And every time we give the gospel, we're, we're just kind of doing what we know and we're throwing the seed out and I'm using the evangelistic method that I'm comfortable with. And if it's good enough for 1985, it's good enough for 2022, 23, sorry. Or do the scriptures invite us to be less careless? Do the Scriptures invite us to consider who this person is? What they're going through? How I can be far more intentional concerning the seed that is being sown? And I'm hoping you're hearing from the tone of my voice that I'm leaning far more in that direction and not because it's my personal preference. I believe the Scriptures invite us to that. For example, when we look at Jesus, when God wanted to be his clearest, he didn't give us data, he gave us himself in a person. Yes, in the Old Testament, we encounter God at the top of the mountain, or rather we encounter the story about Moses who encountered God at the top of the mountain, and the Israelites were too afraid of his holiness that we sang about recently. We see God giving the law. We see God giving us the prophets. But when God wanted to be his clearest, he gave us himself, someone we could see, someone who spoke in their language, someone who entered their culture. Think about the difference between reading an old text message from a friend or a spouse or a child And as precious as that may be, compare that to a real live conversation with them in the flesh. So God didn't just throw down another book. He didn't just send another representative. He sent himself. And he entered our world. And so when God chose to communicate... He knew our context, our situation, our pain, and He did the work of coming into our space in order to be so clear about who He was. But not only do we see this in the person of Jesus, but we also see this in the Scriptures. When we see how people spoke about the gospel in very different ways, we see the parables of Jesus, we see testimony, we see songs, we see creeds, we see letters, we see one-on-one conversation, we see discussion meetings, we see speeches in public places, we see miracles, and the list goes on, and each and every single one of these was used by God to plant a seed of the kingdom in somebody else's life in order to bring that life to full potential. And so while the heart of evangelism is always going to be about Jesus, it is always going to be about the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. How we do this, I believe we're being invited to a high level of intentionality, of compassion and thoughtfulness. Now, here's the thing by doing this, we are not guaranteeing that someone receives the seed and it immediately produces life because that is not your job. Our job is to sow the seed and to trust the God of life because the scriptures say He is the one. We plant, we sow, but He's the one who brings life. So, by being intentional, we're not kind of taking matters into our own hands. But I believe the Scriptures do invite us into this space. So, as we look at the story again, I believe there's so much more for us to learn here. So, Jesus goes and explains what is going on in these soils. In verse 19, Jesus says, Listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away Snatches away what is sown in their hearts. This is the seed sown along the path. This is a seed that lands and there is no preparedness. There is no space for the seed. This is someone whose life has become hardened to the truth of the gospel. And as a result, they are not willing to receive the seed. They are not even willing to try and understand the seed. This is someone so often who has been trained not to hear and not to receive the seed of the kingdom. We have no shortage of people training our families and training our colleagues and our neighbors to harden their hearts against the gospel, whether it's Richard Dawkins, whether it's a fictional book like the Da Vinci Code, and let me just highlight the fictional nature of the Da Vinci Code whether it's people on YouTube like the Cosmic Skeptic, whether it's all sorts of people putting up a phone in front of their faces and saying something on TikTok, giving us hundreds and thousands of hours to be consumed by everyone we know to harden their hearts against receiving the seed of the gospel. Now here's something you and I need to know. The soil one person is growing in numbers. 30, 40, 50 years ago, we could assume that most people out there kind of knew that there kind of was a God most people out there, if we to ask them to say, who is this God? Most people, be it in our country or at least in the Western nations, would give some sense of, ah, oh, it's probably Jesus, you know, the Christian God. And we know Moses, we know Abraham, we know the Ten Commandments. And as a result, there was some readiness, some awareness, some understanding. And so when we were thinking about sowing seeds, it was a different story. But today, when it comes to the the kinds of ways that people are being trained, and yes, the kinds of disappointments that people have and experience when it comes to religion, when it comes to the church, their hearts become paths. The seed doesn't even have time to sit there for two seconds and the enemy comes and takes it away. So what do we do with somebody like that? here's something that I found so interesting this week. You know, when we look at the Gospels, which by the way, the Gospels themselves are a story of the Gospel. They're not just this standard three-point approach to what the Gospel is. They tell the whole story of Jesus. And so when we look at these stories of Jesus, known as the Gospels, the Gospel according to Mark and Matthew and Luke and John, and you do a little word search on a website, you can do it, like Bible Gateway, and we can do it so easily. And if you had to, for example, this was on the NIV, if you had to look up the word proclaim, Jesus proclaiming the kingdom of God, that comes up 20 times. If you look up the word taught, Jesus teaching, that comes up 16 times in the four gospels. When you look up the word preach, that comes up 22 times. So you've got 20, 16, and 22. But what happens if you search the word answered? That comes up 144 times. And what happens when you search the word ask or asked? That comes up 303 times. And so are we to proclaim, are we to preach, are we to teach? Absolutely, I'm doing that right now. I deeply believe in that. But we have statistical proof that one of the greatest ways that Jesus sowed the seed of the kingdom is in asking and answering, in conversation. Sometimes it's just Jesus who asked, sometimes it's somebody else who asked. Sometimes it's a Jesus who answered. Sometimes it's somebody else who was given a question and had to answer. But Jesus knew that there was such an awesome opportunity when it came to questions and answers and dialogue done in a healthy way. And so I believe you and I need to grow the art of and grow our confidence in our ability to, like Jesus, have these kinds of conversations where it's not just me telling you what's what, but I am thinking about you. I'm asking questions. I'm giving you space to ask me questions. You see, I think all too often, many of us, maybe most of us here, we want to just get to the answer and tell the person the answer. Let me... Give you a fictional conversation to maybe illustrate this point. Imagine someone comes to you, and maybe they're not uh, an all-out atheist, but maybe they're kind of into the new agey kind of stuff that is also very prolific these days. And they kind of say, "Stephen, you know what? Um, I've, I've kind of come to believe, and I, I think, you know, we're going to be reincarnated. What do you think?" Now, imagine my response was, "Dude." Don't you know that's Hinduism? That's demonic. We believe in Jesus and his resurrection. Now, is that true? Yes, it is. Is that helpful? I don't think so. What if the response was, wow, I'm so glad that you're thinking about these things. I'm so glad you're thinking about, you know, what happens to us after we die. Man, I'm really interested. How did you come to this idea about the reincarnation? Ask, and then we listen to the answer oh, wow, that's interesting. I mean, maybe that's that's news to me. I've never really thought about things in that way. L- listen, you know, just have you come across any evidence? Is there is there any philosophical, historical evidence that maybe reincarnation is how things kind of work out? And maybe they've got an answer for you, and maybe they respond by saying, well, I've never really thought about that. Well, you know, I, I've been so interested to hear what you think about these things, could I maybe share what I think about these things? You know, for us, we also think about the afterlife. We also try and wonder, you know, just what's going on there. And for us, the framework is less about reincarnation, and it's more about this idea of resurrection. And, and, and for us, just here are some reasons why I think the resurrection is compelling and, and this is why we do, you know, just for us, this is how Jesus is at the center of our faith. And this is why I think the resurrection of Jesus actually happened. Well, what do you think about that? Now, once again, we're not trying to guarantee a slam dunk here. But which conversation do you think has more power to continue and to be received? Thank you, Anik. Yes, the answer is the second one. And I hope that you know I'm so passionate about this. And this is why I think every single one of us needs to be equipped with how we can ask people these questions. How we can engage their answers. How we can propose why I happen to believe that these things are true. This is why I wrote the book that I wrote. Not that I care that you have my book, you can have any good book for that matter, but I want everyone in this room to be equipped for these kinds of conversations so in one way amongst many, we can emulate how Jesus sowed the seeds of the kingdom. So that's soil one. Let's talk about soil number two. Jesus says, the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no roots, remember the soil is shallow, they last only a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, notice this is the kind of trouble. This is not just general tough times, but this is the kind of trouble or persecution as a result of what I believe They quickly fall away. Now, we've got to understand there is a whole section of people around us and a whole section of evangelism that are not maybe hardline atheists, but are maybe people who have in some way received a very shallow form of Christianity and have found it wanting and have rejected it. Now, uh, for those of you who know me, you know I'm not one of these heresy hunter guys. I'm not up here to name names and, and, you know, why we're right and this pastor's wrong and that guy's wrong and that church is wrong and this is the only place where you can know and experience God. I'm just not wired like that. I don't think Jesus wants us to be like that. Having said that, we need to recognize that there is a whole world in our, in inverted commas, circle of faith, where people are being given the shallow soil. And according to Jesus, this is dangerous. Something along the lines of, listen, Jesus can't wait to bless you. Now, that's true. But when they, def- when they unpack that and define that, Jesus can't wait to make you healthy. Jesus can't wait to make you wealthy. Jesus can't wait to give you that new house, that second car, that third boat, or whatever the case might be. And Jesus wants you to live a life of material abundance. He wants your neighbors and your colleagues to go, wow, their life is so awesome materially, American dream-wise. Therefore, I want what they have. Oh, they got it from Jesus. I want Jesus. Now listen, who doesn't want at some level that to be true, right? All you have to do is come to church and say the right things. And just instead of going to any other God, come to Jesus. And man, you go home and there's money in your account and everything's awesome. The problem is, before I get there, is it no wonder that these plants grow very quickly? Not all large churches adhere to this form of the gospel. But is it no wonder that when preachers are preaching this kind of gospel, that those churches on average grow very large? Because we want to hear that. Is it no wonder that the fastest sector of Christianity growing in South America and Africa is this sector? Why? Because we're struggling, we're poor, we need help, we want hope. And man, if I can go to church, and if I can give my money to that pastor, and if I can get blessings in return, who doesn't want that? But then COVID happens. The job offer gets turned down for the second or the third time. The healing doesn't happen. The depression doesn't go away. And then somebody tells me, you oh know, it's because you have small faith. You haven't tired enough, or some nonsense like that. And suddenly, this plant that started with such great joy isn't big enough to engage with the reality of this world. And so, what does it do? It withers away. So, what are you and I to do when it comes to someone who's disenchanted? with their quick little life of faith that came and disappeared. I want to suggest to you, it's not just giving them a lecture on what the gospel is. I want to suggest it is something like this. Man, I'm so sorry to hear what you went through. Tell me about it. I'm so sorry to hear about, you know, the, this faith that came up and disappeared, you know, or, or what did it feel like when it did feel like there was some life? And and, and what did it feel like when it felt like that life was taken away from you? Tell me about it. And then maybe we start thinking about some of these stories in the gospel where we can think about the nature of God and say, listen, I, I know you may be disenchanted with Jesus or the church, but do you mind if we maybe just look at some of these scriptures Remember at some time they maybe did have a respect of the scriptures. Maybe we can look at some of these scriptures that reveal who Jesus really is. And he didn't come to see what he could get out of you, but he came to serve you. Jesus, you know, he came to give dignity to the poor and oppressed, not to see how much they could tithe. Jesus didn't come in a palace with armies and servants, but he spent his time with the least of these Oh, and by the way, maybe we're measuring life by the kingdoms of this world. And Jesus says, my kingdom's not of this world. And by the way, his kingdom will outlast all other kingdoms. And what about the Jesus who says, I can give you joy and peace and contentment, not only when life is abundant, but also when life is tough. I want to encourage you to, when you have these kinds of conversations, to really be patient and really be prayerful. as some unlearning kind of needs to happen here and really trust God with the process. And so that's going to move us on to soil number three. And soil number three is found in verse 22. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life that I'm going to call issues, And the deceitfulness of wealth, which I'm going to call idols, choke the word, making it unfruitful. Notice point number two was where I started to realize, Wow, I bought into a faith that was going to be easy and suddenly I realized there's a cost. Suddenly I realized there's a cross. Suddenly I realized there are those who aren't there to bless me, but they're going to persecute me because of what I believe. I believe that in verse 22, when we talk about issues and the worries of this world, now all of a sudden we're thinking about someone who meant every time they come to church, the very next day, something goes wrong. And every time I I lend them a book, they start on page one, and then something else goes wrong. And it's like every time a seed lands, man, tough stuff happens in their life. And it's like, Lord, there's just no time for the seed to land and to take root and to flourish. And this is again where we think about Jesus and the woman with the issue of blood. The woman who wanted to just touch the hem of Jesus' garment. This is when we think about the woman who had multiple sexual partners in John chapter 4. And we can say, yeah, her big issue was sin, which it was. But as a result, she was an outcast. She was treated like a leper. And she had all the shame on her. Or we can think about the man who was a paralytic and his four friends just knew, we just need to get him to Jesus. Or we can even think about Thomas, who saw Jesus, lived with Jesus, saw his miracles, experienced his life. And then he saw Jesus brutally murdered. He's like, I'm done. I'm done. What did Jesus do in each of these stories and more? Did he come with the right answer? He came with himself. And in every single one of these painful, doubt-filled, shame-filled situations, Jesus stepped forward into their world, into their space, bringing grace, bringing compassion, and then, yes, bringing truth. But the very act of the Son of God stepping into their pain was in itself a revelation of who God is and the truth of that. And so as we think about these situations, And maybe the person who God is laying on your heart is someone who, man, oh man, just the last few months and years have not been easy. And they're angry with God or they're not even sure that a good God exists because of what they've gone through. And Stephen, I don't know what to do for them. Or maybe a first step is to embody what Jesus did and who He was in these spaces and take a step into their pain. I'm not saying come with all the answers. You're not Dr. Phil. Not saying he's got all the answers either. Not saying that you're just going to fix things. All I'm saying is bring grace, bring understanding, bring compassion by being a presence in their pain. And then maybe when the time is right, you can say, listen, I know things have been so hard for you and it's been tough for you to reconcile. How can a good God allow all this stuff to happen to me? You know, I've got a few thoughts about that that come out of God's Word. Can I maybe talk to you about how I think God relates to us in our tough times? You can pick any one of these stories and maybe show them the God they never knew who responds to their shame and their pain in a way they never believed. And maybe you can even take it one step further and you can say, you know, I know that it seems like God is so indifferent to our pain. But you know, as Christians, we believe about the cross. That's kind of the center point of our faith and Jesus' subsequent resurrection. Just think about what the cross represents, that Jesus cared so much about your pain and your shame, that he took it upon himself on the cross. And he defeated it and brings victory and life to you and he offers that to you. And just painting a portrait by your actions, by your presence and with the word of God and the seeds that you are sowing, painting a portrait that is not, here's my life, God has abandoned me and there's all the happy, wonderful people and God is surely with them. But no, God is with me too. And God is here in my pain, in my shame, offering me life. And finally, this passage when it talks about the deceitfulness of wealth, spoke about issues, now I want to speak about idols. An idol is anything we look to, to give us what God alone is wanting to give us. And so this is why he calls it the deceitfulness of wealth. Now in the Scriptures, regularly, kind of the one biggest competitor to the role of God in our lives is money. And I think that stands true today like anything else, but it could be any idol. But this just happens to be what gets brought up here. So what do we do when we recognize that maybe, you know, someone has been deceived by some form of idol in their lives, or maybe even, as in this case, the deceitfulness of wealth? What do I do about that? Do I just condemn them? Do I have a tough conversation? Do I tell them that this is an an idol and they must just kind of repent? You can try that. With some people, that might be exactly what they need to hear. But if we're going to be maybe intentional and thoughtful based on just how Paul engaged different audiences, especially in Athens, and I wish I could spend a lot more time in this, in Athens, in Acts 17, there's an author by the name of Sam Chan, and he wrote a book, I forget the exact title, I think it's Evangelism in a Skeptical World. Sam Chan, Evangelism in a Skeptical World, and if that's not the title, it's something like that, you'll find it immediately. And he suggests when we're wanting to communicate the gospel, but the soil is a soil that is riddled by the thorns and thistles of idolatry, he suggests the following paradigm. And I know I'm throwing out this little bit of training or equipping you know, for five seconds, and most of us are going to have to come back and maybe listen to this again and again. But I just still wanted to give this to you. He suggests that we resonate and then dissonate and then show gospel fulfillment. Stephen, what? What are you talking about? Resonate is when we show that we understand what the person is looking for. Dissonate is when we show that what they're really looking for cannot be given to them in the places they're looking for it. gospel fulfillment is to show that what they're really looking for can only be found in Jesus Christ. So if you know anything about Acts 17, go home and maybe read it this afternoon and maybe some of this will make sense. Paul walks into Athens, a non-biblical, non-Israelite, non-Old Testament savvy place and is filled with idols and Paul's spirit is deeply troubled. But when he starts speaking to these philosophers, he doesn't start off by saying, oh, you you evil idolaters, you you demon worshippers, you're going to hell unless you repent. While on one hand, he is disturbed by what he sees, the first thing he does is resonate. He goes, oh, you know, I I look around me and all I see is, is idols that tells me you're really serious about wanting to connect with God. Resonates. And if you go and read his speech, you can see in a number of ways he resonates with their various philosophies about who God is. He even quotes their pagan philosophers. Dissonate, He says, but... You know, if we just apply our minds here for a second, are you telling me that this God in whom we live and breathe and have our being, and, are you really telling me that he can be contained by, by temples? And of course, the Athenians' response has to be, well, actually, no, You know, that kind of a God cannot be contained by temples, and he's taking them one step further. Until he gets to the point of gospel fulfillment, which he says, now let me tell you about the God that I really think you're looking for. And this is who he is. And this is how he has demonstrated himself to us through his resurrection. So let's think about applying that into the situation that is raised here, the deceitfulness of wealth. Resonates. Listen. Listen. I know that at the end of the day, we all want what is best for our family, right? We all want to have enough money to send our kids to the best schools to make sure that they're not going to be without the important things of life. And absolutely, not everyone can, but for those who can, we want to give our family just, just some good experiences, some good holidays, and just some joy in this life, right? And just by the way, God is never against money, but He just becomes very cautious when it occupies a place of idolatry in our lives. So we can resonate. I want those things, right? I do. <laughs> some of you find that funny. Dissonate. But here's the thing, man. I don't know if this has been your experience, or maybe you've seen this in some of your colleagues, or some of the bosses, don't you think that sometimes something shifts in our hearts? We're doing this, you know, to increase the quality of life that we want for our family and our kids. But doesn't it sometimes or very often happen that in the pursuit of getting the money, we lose the things that we were hoping to experience the joy of? We lose our marriages Our kids start to resent us because we're not spending enough time with them. I can tell you now, heads are going to start nodding because that is the most common narrative out there. Well, why don't I tell you gospel fulfillment? Why don't I tell you about, man, if you think of money and some of the joys of this life as good gifts, let me tell you about the giver. And let me tell you, we can know the giver. And you know, this giver, yes, in in many ways, he he, he wants to bless us in many different ways. But I want to tell you, he wants to bless you more than you've ever thought about. Because he wants to be able to give you fulfillment, whether you have the abundance of these things, or even if you don't. Oh, and by the way, this God is not like your CEO, who is more like a pharaoh in your life. But this God, though He's the King of the universe, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, though He was rich, meaning He was up there in heaven with all of His needs met perfectly. Man, He just speaks and things happen. He gave that up. Scriptures say He became poor so that you, through His poverty, might become rich. And that's not going to be reflected in your bank account. But he wants to give you a quality of life that no financial surplus can ever give you. Is this starting to make some sense? It does require using these brain cells a bit, right? It does require some intentionality. And then, of course, we get soil four, and we'll just be very brief on this one where Jesus says in verse 23, but the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop. Why? Because seeds are life potential, yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. This is when the seed is sown and faith takes root and man, we see life. Amen. Praise the Lord. Some of you were that soil. Some of you are that soil. But let me ask you this question. If we are to think about planting seeds, are we only to plant seeds in soil number four people? The answer is no. We can't only wait until, we'll die waiting, until someone is in the perfect place for us to plant a seed of faith. Now when that happens, it's amazing but we're called to plant seeds. Even when the person that we're praying for and the person we're loving, the person we're communicating with is experiencing some of these things. Oh, and by the way, there could be a fifth soil. There could be a sixth soil. And so no, I haven't covered all potential challenges out there to sowing the seeds of the kingdom. But hopefully this has given us us enough to start off with so just a few final thoughts as we wrap up here. Number one, if we're going to do this, we have to pray. Forget who said it, but before we speak to men about God, we need to speak to God about men. This is a partnership with what God is doing. And while I can sow seeds, He's the one who brings life. So man, oh man, despite my best efforts, despite the fact that I've got an org chart with all of these people that I'm going to sow seeds into their lives. At the end of the day, I cannot give anyone eternal life. And so I have to pray for them. I have to pray that God would give me the words, the opportunity, the wisdom, and that God would surprise us all by bringing life. Pray. Number two, understand And what I mean by that is primarily thinking about, understand who this person is, understand what some of their obstacles to faith are. For someone who the obstacles is primarily intellectual, it's going to be quite different to someone whose obstacle is primarily emotional because of the pain I've experienced or the disappointments I've experienced in other Christians or in religion. And so I'm going to really spend some time in prayer. God, give me your eyes. Help me see this person the way you see them. And as you give me insight, give me great wisdom as I try and understand who this person is. Have the kinds of conversations. Remember Jesus asking and answering. Whereby having a real conversation and being genuinely curious We're able to better understand and empathize with who this person is. Number three, don't rush. Now, on occasion, Apostle Paul is case in point. Man, someone's life is heading this way. A gospel seed lands and immediately that person gets saved. But that is even biblically the exception rather than the rule. I love the idea That when Jesus called the disciples to follow him. And if you had to give them a theological exam after week one with Jesus, they would have failed it. They were messed up. They were still figuring everything out, including their own lives. Even after three years with Jesus himself, there was still stuff that they were getting wrong all the time. You see I want to plant a seed today I want fresh tomatoes tomorrow I think it's very unfair when we place human pressure on someone that not even the disciples received from Jesus himself dude I, I told you what the gospel was last week what's wrong with you why don't you understand why are you still sinning why are you still doing that You see, the disciples had three years to see Jesus, know Jesus, experience Jesus. So that by the time they were able to say rightly, this is who you are, and this is what you're calling me to, I know enough to know what I'm jumping into here. And we need to afford our neighbors and our families and our friends the same dignity. The next point, I don't know what points we're on, but the next one is be a gospel presence. And what what I mean there is so much more than just be a nice person. I mean, at least be a nice person. Don't be a jerk. But more than that, we need to somehow live in such a way that someone else can see that the good news is good news to you before you try and convince somebody else that the good news is good news to them. And that's going to show itself in your life in billions of different ways. But be a presence in their life where they can see, I know it sounds like a cliche, but they can literally see something of Jesus in you. And when you do get it wrong, be the first to say, I'm so sorry I got it wrong. Please forgive me. And then finally, it's not always in a linear way, but just final thoughts. The time's gonna come when you're gonna sow a seed. You're there. You're being thoughtful. You're being intentional. You're praying. You're praying for God to move their heart. You're praying for God to move your heart, to give you wisdom, to give you opportunity, to lead you by His Spirit, to help you see what He's doing. You're asking questions. You're being genuinely curious. You're being genuinely compassionate and gracious. And then the time is going to come when God says, sow the seed now. And in faith, you plant that seed and you don't know what's going to happen to that seed. I was going to do some research and to be honest, I completely forgot where some seeds can lie dormant in the earth for like 50 years. You don't know. And maybe you plant the seed and somebody else comes along and waters it and then they go to another church and then that pastor sees the harvest. Amen. It's not about you, but you are called to plant a seed of life potential. So as we wrap up today, I wonder who God is placing on your heart. I wonder if God is bringing a name to mind, not just, you know, lost people. I'm not being prophetic here, but Michael, your cousin, I want you to start praying about him every day, even if it's a seed of prayer, five minutes a day, and take it from there. I think it's useful for us to just acknowledge that if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, that something in us responds by saying, I hear you, God. I'm trying to duck. I'm trying to dive. I'm not letting you do that. I hear you, God. Okay, now let's talk. Now let's pray. And by the time that the Holy Spirit opens up that opportunity to plant the seed Man, He's done work in your life. He's done work in their life. And we just trust that as seeds of life potential are sown in other people's lives, this year and in the years following, that we start to see that crop. We start to see those two little leaves that come out the ground. We start to see those become fruitful plants and fruitful people who in turn are able to bless others with kingdom seed. And so let's just come before the Lord because we need Him and we need His help. Father, speak to me about my own heart and I know we've been speaking about other people's hearts. But there's unbelief, there are challenges, there are doubts in my own heart, there are griefs that are not dealt with. That man, I'm even struggling to receive the seed. So God, I bring myself before you. And I say, despite some of my reservations, I bring my heart before you and I want to receive this seed, this kingdom seed, this word today. Because I care deeply about the life of Christ, both in my life and in the life of others. And now Holy Spirit, as we are attentive to your voice right now, would you be so kind as to give us a name? A face? Lord, is this you? Is, is it me? Is it just, am I making this person up? I don't know. But let's just recognize we're in this presence of the Lord and we're availing ourselves to His voice. And Lord, just that first step, we pray right now for these names and these faces that are coming to mind. And Lord, maybe I feel so inadequate to the task. That's okay. It really is okay. You don't have to be the philosopher. You don't have to be the theologian. You have to be you and willingly you. So Lord, I pray, I bring myself before you and I pray that you would even lead me step by step to get to the point where I can sow a seed of faith. And I'm afraid. And I'm afraid of disappointment. I'm afraid of that seed lying dormant. But I want to trust you. So God, I thank you. I thank you that you are with us. And I thank you that you're leading us in this. Life potential in other, in other people's lives. God, we look so forward to a harvest. We trust you in this, in Jesus' name. Amen.